Hey, what's going on, everyone? My name is Emmanuel Capitas, and thank you so much for joining us on today's episode of Left to Inspire, the show where we sit down with people that are absolutely crushing it in life, and we dissect exactly how they got there, the failures that they've experienced, the breakthroughs that they've achieved, and most importantly, we do all of this with the core central purpose of creating tangible action that you, the listener, can take. So if you're ready to finally start taking action on you, on your dreams, then you're in the right place. So welcome to the show and get ready to unlock your full potential. All righty. So we are live with Sterling Hawkins, uh, someone that's near and dear to my heart that's had a huge impact on my life. So Sterling, thank you for being on the show today. Great to be with you, Emmanuel. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. Yeah. So before we go into a full intro of who you are, what you do, I just want to talk to the, the listener, or if this is up on uh, video later on, the, the viewer, but if you feel like you're stuck in your life and uh, you're not where you want to be, uh, you're maybe doing something that you're unfulfilled in, then I promise you that this episode is perfect for you because Sterling, that the knowledge that he's about to reveal to us and the systems that he's created is something that can literally change your life if you apply it. So, and, and one thing I want to say is things might not happen overnight. Success in any way takes a lot of hard work and takes time. But if you stay consistent with these systems that he's going to show us today, I promise you that you'll be able to achieve that breakthrough. So with that said, Sterling, once again, thank you so much for being with us today and tell us or tell the audience who you are, what you do. Yeah, well, I was just going to say, I don't think I would have believed some of these things before I, I lived it out in my own career, right? Looking at all the successful people that are out there with all the money and the cars and the houses, I used to look at those things and be like, you know, how how do you achieve that? Like, it must be hugely complex and there's a lot of hard work and maybe I'll never get there. And it is hard work, like you said, and it is complex. And at the same time, I think we put together something that, well, really I put together for myself to save my own life and, and get my own act together. And through all the research and everything that we've dug into afterwards, it turns out that it works just about the same for every human. And it's not overnight and it does take hard work and it, it might even be uncomfortable. It actually definitely will be uncomfortable at times, but it does make a difference. So with, with that said, to follow up with that is, uh, what is that thing that you do that can help impact someone's life? So I work with people and companies to help them achieve results, whatever that might be regardless of the circumstances. In other words, we use this cool hashtag, no matter what, right? No matter what's going on in your life, with your finances, in your relationships, even in your business, we can still take steps towards achieving those things that we want to achieve. And it is entirely possible. And so what we did is uh, put together a system of five steps that I speak to people about around the world. I work with people on a one-on-one -on -one basis um, to implement these things where they can grab onto them and actually apply them into their life and business. And you also do that through your keynote speaking, right? Yeah, well, that's, that's where it all got started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I, I think you probably recall the story. 
speaking in public in general used to terrify me. Yeah. It does to a lot of people. Well, there's that joke. I forget who said it. Something about how most people would prefer to be in the coffin than giving the eulogy. Like that's how terrifying public speaking can be. And, and I was definitely there. You know, I've had some software companies in my day, sold some, crashed some, but found myself uh, years back at a point where I had lost literally everything. Put all my cash into a business. So I, I ran out of any liquid dollars. I had to move into my parents' house. Um, right as I was trying to get more serious with my girlfriend, she decided to make it like full rock bottom and break up with me. And I had nothing. I developed this like crippling anxiety, you know? Yeah. And part of that was just being in front of people. So I, you, I got into speaking yeah, initially because yeah, it terrified me. Yeah, the story of, of how you, you, you started your speaking career to build a seven-figure speaking career is pretty fucking crazy just because it, it literally happened from a simple email that you sent. So uh, you kind of touched on some of your stories. So let's kind of, let's, let's go back to uh, that first company that you started because you come from a family of retailers. So uh, yeah. you, you got involved in that. Let's go through how you got to where you are today. Because there, yeah. I think there's one thing I just want to say is there's some key things that happened along the way that the way the mindset that you had and that which re resulted in the actions that you took or inactions that you took, I think have a correlating effect of your successes and failures during that journey. I, I think that's right. And I, I think it's even a level deeper than that. Like what I uh, work with people on is really cultivating a belief, a, a belief in themselves that in my mind transcends any, any mindset, you know, something that's much more visceral that's driving the actions you're taking, even the things that you're thinking about. And you're right. So I, I grew up in my family store and it was a phenomenal experience, especially uh, when I was younger, because you had access to any kind of food you could possibly want. You know, the donuts, the deli, you name it. It was just uh, an aisle away. And then when I turned 15, my dad put me on night crew. And so I had to wake up and, and go to work at like 9 p.m. at night and work till five, six in the morning. And he's like, just so you know, this is what it's like to run a grocery store. I'm like, well, that's not as cool as I thought it once was. <laughs> now, did you volunteer for that or did he? No. Okay. No, no, it was, <laughs> you know, I think there's two schools of thought when it comes into family business. One, is uh, you're in the family, so you should be treated better and paid more than everybody else and maybe work less. That was not my family. My family was on the other side, which was you need to work harder, be paid less and do everything that nobody wants to do here just to prove that there's no favoritism here and to build a, a really strong work ethic. And I don't ever want to do that again. Like, don't get me wrong. <laughs> But at the same time, what a great, great upbringing, great way to uh, kind of instill that work, work ethic in me. It made such a difference looking back on it now. Smart, smart parents. <laughs> I think so. Um, but what happened is I started a company with my dad. I was right out of college and 
we were looking at the retail industry saying, you know what? People are paying different rates for airline tickets and different rates on their credit cards. And everybody's getting these personalized prices based on their value to the business. Why don't we do that in retail? And today it's commonplace. You know, CVS has got the mile long list of things that are printed out just for you. Yeah. Well, back in the early 2000s, when we started this thing, it didn't exist. We were literally the first ones to create it like that. Hell yeah. And, you know, we tested it in our own store. We started to build some clients, build some conversations. Long story short, we sent, sell it to this group in Silicon Valley and became part of it. We went on to raise $550 million, <laughs> which is, you know, at the time I'm 22 years old, 23 years old. That's a mind blowing amount of money. <laughs> yeah. And it was, you ever seen that movie, The Wolf of Wall Street? Yes. It was that. Like parties around every corner. There were models in the office, uh, staying at the Four Seasons, flying private, like you name it. It was happening. And, you know, I, I would be like, I, I can't believe this is my life. Like this is happening. Here's a critical mistake that I made. I said, success is so easy. And I'm thinking about like, what jet do I want to buy? What airline uh, do I want to, you know, fly, fly first class on? What island do I want to buy? Like I'm, I'm getting so far ahead of my skis on these things that when the, I think it was like 2008, 2009, that was the global housing collapse, right? Yeah. So it was right then where we had to raise some additional money because well, we spent it all. And with the global housing collapse, nobody would put in another dime. And that company went bankrupt. Uh, you know, people were pulling back on what they were spending. And we were so far out ahead of ourselves as a company. It limped along for a couple of months. And I had something like 20, $25 million in equity. Like I was riding high, especially for a guy in his early 20s. And that was worth zero, literally overnight. Yeah. And, you know, it was very humbling because it was a chance to say like, ah, here I was thinking that I knew everything about what successful business looks like. And um, I actually don't know anything at all. And it, it did. It sent me into a little bit of a a tailspin and I hit, you know, as I was saying earlier, that rock bottom. Which a lot of uh, people can relate with. Well, it's especially the last couple of years or 18 months with the pandemic. I think everybody's, uh, if not confronted head on themselves, known a lot of people that have confronted that potential rock bottom or the loss of everything in, in like a split second. You, you know, in reality, it was a couple of months that this stuff went down over but it felt like it was overnight. Like it crashed so fast. It was like my emotions couldn't keep up with it. During your, as you were explaining that story, you had mentioned that belief trumps mindset. Um, can you expand on that a little bit in regards to, is that more, you first need to believe you can achieve something before you can get your mindset in the right place? A little bit. So I think you've got to start to take steps 
to build a belief in yourself. Some people might call it courage. I, I think there's this um, kind of understanding out there that I, to reach success, I need an amount of money. I need a certain product. I need to know people. Uh, I need to come from privilege or a different kind of privilege. And don't get me wrong, those things, they matter. They make a difference. But really from every person that I've talked to and interviewed and studied, that road to success, however you define it, is paved with courage. Yeah. And for me, when I moved into my parents' house, it, it, now, this is, this is an embarrassing moment. You know, I'm riding high. I'm going to all these parties, flying around the world. And now I move into my parents' house with nothing. Yeah. And I felt bad for myself for several months. I didn't know what I was going to do or where I was going to go. Frankly, I was scared. Uh, I remember laying in bed one night, looking at the ceiling. It, it was the first night, actually. I'm in over a hundred thousand dollars in debt. Wow. And I'm like, I, I literally don't know what to do. And it got so bad. It, it was, you know, having one of those dark nights of the soul. Where I'm like, I don't even know what there's left to live for. Like, what is my life supposed to be about? And my mom used to say this thing when I was younger. It turns out it's a Robert Frost quote, but to me, it's always going to be my mom. She oh, said, yeah. the way out is through. You heard that one? Yeah, I'm sure you've heard that one because we've been friends for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and I got to thinking one day on the computer, I was like, okay, the way out is through. What does that mean? Well, it means go through the things that are uncomfortable. Go through maybe the things that you've been trying to avoid and what you're seeking is on the other side. And it just happens that at this very moment, I get an email from a conference in Singapore. It's just a general email blast. And I thought, you know what? If being terrified of speaking in public or being in public is what I have to go through, I don't have anything less to, left to lose. Let's do it. So I, I hit the reply button and I, still have the email. I write literally, why don't you have me speak? Best Sterling. So I, I don't know, the stars must have aligned. I got lucky, whatever it was. I ended up talking to the conference director and with nothing to lose, I talk him into having me be the keynote speaker of their conference. I'm out of my mind. <laughs> like first, I can't believe that I've talked them into this amount of money and to fly me around the world. And the, in the second beat, I was like, how am I, what am I going to do? Yep. I'm scared. I, I don't know what to talk about. I don't have a website. I'm a speaking reel. I have no platform. How am I going to do this? And so I spent the next six months literally practicing, writing, practicing, rewriting, creating slides, practicing, practicing, practicing. Uh, my sister, Havilland, who I still wouldn't be doing this without, she can probably still give you that same talk verbatim because she listened to it so many times. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and so when the day finally comes, I'm, I'm terrified. 
right? Like if you're somebody that is afraid to speak in public, you know that moment before you step in front of the room or get on the Zoom conference or whatever it is. Uh, and if you're not afraid to speak, we all have that moment right before we're gonna do what it is that we're terrified of doing. So I get on stage, sweaty, my face is red. Um, I'm, I'm pretty sure I blacked out. I don't remember exactly what I said. And I get off the stage and I'm thinking, I'm so glad that's over. <laughs> <laughs> and the conference director seeks me out immediately. He finds me and I'm doing one of these where I'm kind of like looking down, hoping he's not going to come over. Like I'm going to sneak out of there before anything happens. And he, he looks me in the eye and he goes, Sterling, that is the greatest talk I've seen in my 17 years of doing this. Holy shit. To this day, I'm not sure that guy was in the same room I was speaking in. Like, there's, there's no way. But he, he goes on, and this is the craziest part. He goes on to put me in touch with all of his conference director friends, and all of a sudden, I've got a speaking career, again, like overnight. And that's what really launched me into the whole speaking world, and that's really where No Matter What was born. Oh, yeah. I love that. So something I want to... I, I, I wanna drill down on for that story is, and the importance of, of those actions that you took. So, and I, since we've known each other for a while, I've told you during when I was in my dark moments and how you guys yeah. and what y'all do pulled me out of that. Uh, but, you know, whenever, and I, and I'm sure a lot of people haven't experienced the, the, the swing from going from being worth tens of millions of dollars to nothing you know, that by itself is like a hundred punches to the gut, you know, like, and I know there's, there's worse things that can happen, but you know, we get in our own heads, uh, when things aren't working for us, especially if we've been winning and then all of a sudden we're not winning that it just, you know, we don't know what we're going to do. We, because we're so up in here, we're not really taking any action. And literally yeah. just because of your mom's quote, which will you say it one more time? The way out is through literally because of that, that allows you to just step into taking action and sending an email that you probably had no place sending at that moment because of where you were up here, but you still took action. Yeah. Well, it, it, that's kind of what I see now is the difference between just a mindset and, and deeper beliefs, because in going through that thing that was... I don't think I could have thought of anything scarier for me to do at the time. That actually, that made it click really well too. how you just explained. You believed in that saying, which allowed you to have a mindset that you could take action on something. Yeah. And, and then when I did it, I'm starting to prove to myself that I can. I mean, yeah. it's not just like I'm empowered about this or I've got a positive mindset about this. Like it's, it's much deeper to be able to look at yourself in the past and say, yeah, I did this, I did that, I did that. All of those things existed in the unknown. Yeah. In the world that I was frankly scared to step into. And I made it. Yeah. Like I, I didn't die. It hasn't all go, gone perfectly, right? Yeah. But when you can look back on yourself and say, hey, I have done some things that were really quite remarkable. 
You, you know, like I, I helped somebody out during the pandemic or I started this business or, you know, whatever that might be for you to be able to cultivate that belief in yourself that no matter what happens, you're somebody that can figure it out is literally future proof. Yeah. It's the only future proof. Anything, anybody that tells you otherwise lying to you. Yeah. One other thing that I think is, is interesting is, you know, you mentioned you got lucky, but that luck would have not happened if you wouldn't have just taken the action. So I remember Will Smith talking about how he was so scared of uh, skydiving and he was just petrified and all this other stuff. And he just like, couldn't sleep. And then once he's finally on the plane and he's just like wanting to quit the entire time, they're like, okay, we're going to count down. And instead of like one, two, three, at like one, they jump. And he said, the second he jumped, it was bliss. And he like, yeah. he uses that as a metaphor for anything in life that you're scared to. But most people I would say that are in that mindset probably wouldn't send the email, probably wouldn't jump off the plane. So it's, it's important that yes, there was luck, but it's because you stepped out of your comfort zone. You took action. And then yeah. you followed it up with six months of practice, which is phenomenal. Cause I feel like most people would have been like, I got it. And then just like kind of practice or like bailed at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's what stepping out of your comfort zone can do for you, right? Like any new result is outside of your comfort zone and don't confuse comfort zone with hard work, right? You can work a hundred hours a week. And if you're still within your comfort zone, I'm willing to bet that your results are pretty linear. They're incremental. It takes stepping into really the unknown of declaring big visions, taking steps towards it to get some of those big breakthrough results. 100%. And one of the, like the foundational principle of no matter what is to hunt discomfort seek out and do the things that make you uncomfortable because it turns out that that courage, you can grow it. It's not like, ah, you're uncomfortable with X, Y, and Z. You can never do those things or you're always yeah. going to be uncomfortable. You know, you know, if you want to build your biceps up, you go to the gym. But if you want to build your resilience, courage, a belief in yourself, hunt discomfort. It's the only way to do it. Which I, I feel like people, I would say the majority of the population has it backwards. They're trying to be comfortable because also we live in a very comfortable That's very society. True. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I think we, we've got a, a comfort epidemic going on, you know, we, which is phenomenal in terms of humanity. Like we in, in this country, at least, and in many developed countries have reached a point where it's very safe out in the world. Yeah. And in fact, it's so safe that you don't have to leave the comfort of your couch. You can watch Netflix. You can order food from Uber Eats. You can go to Instacart and have your groceries delivered. You can do your work through Zoom. You literally don't have to leave the place that you're in. Huge achievement. But at the same time, it's afforded humanity the ability to avoid discomfort. 100%. Something that's been foundational to humanity literally since humans first walked the earth. 
And discomfort is necessary. It's a necessary skill to not just grow, but to uh, have any impact that you want to have, to continue yeah. doing anything that you want to do. 100%. That makes sense. Yeah, for sure. And as you started your, your speaking career, yes, you got connected with those conferences, but I'm sure you continue to hunt discomfort in regards to new keynotes because also, uh, I, and I, I, I'd love for you to share how you landed your, your TEDx talk because I'm sure that was also stepping out of your comfort zone once again. Yeah. Um, so I, I do. I'm like a discomfort junkie now. Anywhere I can find it, I'll do it. Shark diving, uh, cliff climbing, skydiving, you name it. If I haven't done it, it's certainly on the list of things to do. <laughs> and it's not just physical, right? It's, it's also investing in things that are a little bit uncomfortable. Not yeah. stupid, right? But just a little bit past my comfort zone and pushing my business in new directions. And the TEDx talk is a great example of that because... I thought, ah, I'm a speaker. I'm at a point now where I had a website and a speaking reel. Getting a TEDx should be easy. It turns out that the conference organizers of TED, they don't really like professional speakers too much. They like more organic stories from the people within their community. And I found this out that hard way by applying to literally hundreds of them. Like I would, every TEDx event I could find online, I was applying to and denied, 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 denied. And eventually I might not be the sharpest tool in the shed, but I figured things out after a while and it starts to click that, Hey, they're looking for very specific things. And many of these aren't appropriate for me. And I talked to this, the farthest I got was talking to this TEDx director uh, right outside San Diego. And we talked for like an hour and a half and I was feeling good about it. I was like, he wouldn't waste an hour and a half on me if he wasn't going to give me the talk. And sure enough, two weeks later, I get the email, denied. And I'm just, I'm at a loss at this point, you know, <laughs> like I've done everything I was supposed to do. I've done it by the book. I'm putting myself in front of people. I started customizing some of the things that I was applying to give talks for. Um, and so like time goes by nine months or a year passes. And I see this event outside San Diego with the guy I talked to on the phone. His name's Antoine is coming up again and they're looking for speakers. So instead of just, sending in an application. First, I have to acknowledge, it's a little bit uncomfortable going back after something you've already been rejected from. But it's you like, did it. Well, it, it, it's kind of like asking a girl on a date, she says no, and then going back and doing it again. Like it takes. <laughs> and so I, I did pause before I started filling out the application. I'm like, no, I'm, I'm going after that discomfort. And I didn't write a normal application. I wrote a note to him. Here's what I've learned from getting rejected last time. Here's why I think it was good. And here's what I think we can turn that into this time. And we get on the phone again. And I get an email two weeks later. And finally, I got accepted. And I, I was celebrating. And he calls me minutes later. 
this guy, he's one of my favorite people on the planet. He calls me a couple of minutes after I got an email. He's like, you saw the email. Congratulations. Great. And he goes, um, just so you know, uh, you're not going to be on that TEDx stage until I approve your talk. This is something I, I didn't know was a, a thing. I thought you're accepted. You write your talk, you give it. He goes, I'm going to be working with you for the next 12 weeks or whatever it was to develop your talk. And if we don't get it to a place that I'm comfortable with and is representative of Ted, you still won't be on. And I'm like, can I catch a break here? <laughs> I'm like, just give me a little comfort. <laughs> and it, it, it actually turned out to be a phenomenal experience. Antoine's a, a good friend of mine. We do some work together now. Uh, but really through that, I started to refine this idea of, yeah, it, it can't be all discomfort. When we're all in discomfort, it can be traumatizing and we can freeze and we're not going to perform at our best. And when we're all in comfort, well, we're not at our best there either. There's striking sure. this balance of kind of being on the edge of your comfort zone and stepping into discomfort where people, companies, literally anything is going to be most effective. Okay. So I think it's, it's important to also call out the fact that you got rejected time after time because a lot of the a lot of the time people don't take action because of fear of rejection you know for me for example it took me a while before i started my company because i was just afraid one i was comfortable with getting a salary two mm -hmm. i was afraid of what my friends and other people would think if i started a company and it failed um, so can you kind of touch on a little bit about what your thoughts are in regards to fear and how you essentially overcome those? Yeah, well, I, I think you're right on it. It's that fear right there, the fear of committing that holds you back from going all in. It holds you back from literally being able to achieve that thing that you want to achieve. Yeah. And it's not an easy thing. It's almost a practice that you can get better at over time. And within the framework of no matter what, like we've got this system. And in researching it, I was looking back at like the pharaohs in Egypt and people, leaders in World War II and, um, you know, artists that have gone viral and presidents and you name it. I was studying them and I'm like, wait a second. They're all going through these steps, maybe not intentionally, maybe they're not articulating. Well, they definitely weren't articulating the steps, but they move through these same spaces. And hunting discomfort is, is the first part, right? Like I'm uncomfortable speaking or I'm uncomfortable um, starting my own business. Yeah. But you have to take the step beyond that. And, and maybe the most important step, which I call getting a tattoo, committing so deeply, there's no going back. So let's, let's just take the, the TED talk as an example, right? I started telling people I was going to do a TED talk, not lying and saying, Hey, I've already got one. I'm going to speak in such and such a place. I was saying within the next couple of years, I'm going to give a TED talk. That's just something that I'm going to do. That was your belief. 
And by telling them that, my reputation, some of those relationships were at risk, right? Same thing in starting a business. As soon as you tell somebody that you're going to start a business or you invest money in that business, you're starting to put yourself on the line. You're starting to get a tattoo and commit in ways where even if it doesn't work out, you still have that tattoo. Yeah, 100%. And when you do that, it calls you into action, especially when things get difficult. So, you know, had I told nobody that I wanted to give a TEDx talk, I may have just dropped it after a while because it was so disheartening getting so many rejection emails. <laughs> but I had told so many people and I'd gotten this tattoo. And so in some of the darker moments and getting those rejections, it called me into action. It said, okay, you've been rejected again, but what can you do now? Yeah. Right. My reputation's on the line. How can I make this right? And well, you got to have people on your side to, to help through some of those dark times. Yep. I call it building a street gang, right? Because I look like I've been in a gang probably. <laughs> <laughs> <They're dangerous. laughs> I, I was in Boy Scouts, but I, I don't think many people count that. I, I only made it to three meetings. I was like, this is not for me. But yeah, I made it to one. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, gangs are cutthroat. I use that language for a reason. It's not a tribe. It's not a posse. It, it's, it's not even a team. It's a street gang that's going to make a difference because these are the people that are going to give you that really hard cutthroat feedback when you need it most. Which most people hate, by the way. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it gets paid a lot of lip service, right? I, I don't think there's a company I walk into and they're like, uh, tell me what I'm not doing so well. Yeah. Right. But that is where the difference gets made. 100%. And it, it's, this is not somebody that's just mean, but there's somebody that supports you. They're committed to your potential. And that potential might be something that you can't even see yourself. And in my early days, it was, it was my sister and my mom. They've got no domain expertise. They couldn't tell me about how much to charge for a speech or what to write about or how I should brand myself or anything else. But when I'm down and out, they're saying, Sterling, here's what we see you're capable of, even though I couldn't see it. And it kept me going. Yeah. Which is, sorry, go ahead. No, go ahead. What were you going to say? Which I think is, is, is crazy how we get so in our heads that we can't even see our own potential. And sometimes you just need that other person that genuinely gives a shit about you that is allows you to step into who you can be and who you really are, which is really interesting. I, I don't get why we sabotage ourselves so, so much, but we just do. And it's something you have to learn. And that's why I'm, I'm, I'm a big proponent of just continuing to, uh, you know, I hated school growing up. I hated it all of it, even college. Yeah. I, I, I thought it was pretty useless, but you know, you get through it and most, I would say the majority of the population, they, they finish college or high school if they don't go to college or some people don't finish that either, but they just stop. And yeah. it's just like, okay, it's time to be in the real world. And that's it. I just got to pay bills, but they're not continuing to grow mentally. And I just, it's such a, it's such a shame because, you know, if you just allow yourself to develop up here some more and just put yourself out of that comfort zone, 
And there's so much, you can have such an impact and really unlock your full potential and, and just, uh, and, and we're going to get into more about the, no matter what system in a minute, which I think has the opportunity to help someone unlock their potential. But mm -hmm. I just, you know, it, it's, it, I try to urge anyone that I meet that is in the mindset of, and this is, I think, uh, it's difficult too for me to not get frustrated with people that don't want to, that are lazy, that don't want to achieve anything because it's like, you have so much potential, you can do so much, but you know, yeah. there's only so much you can do for people sometimes. Yeah. Um, well, I, I think it's not just the, the mind, the mind's obviously critically important, but it, it's the heart too. And I think oftentimes the mind gets in the way and tells you, well, you're not capable of those things. You shouldn't do that. Or you, you might be embarrassed. Yeah. And it's really letting go of some of those thoughts or being courageous enough or brave enough to step through them that makes the difference. And, you know, I, I was lucky enough to have, have my mom and my sister who just by function of our family's culture, they'll just naturally do that for me. If you have people in your life like that, phenomenal. But if you don't, or even if you do, it really takes inviting somebody to play that role for you. Inviting a, a friend or a coworker or a boss or whoever they might be, probably stick away from the, the pen pals, right? You want somebody that you know, somebody that yeah. can like be in the real world with you, connect with you on a regular basis. And you might just sit down and say, listen, um, here's what I'm committed to. Here's what I want to do. What do you see for me as potential in that world? Do you have any tough feedback? Can you keep me accountable to some of these things that I'm doing? Can you help me see the potential in myself? And then invite them to be in your gang. You know, don't make it awkward. Say, Sterling told me to invite you to be in my street gang. Here's what it means, right? <laughs> But it does take having a conversation sometimes to make sure to give somebody that freedom to be able to hold you to account like that. Yeah, it's it's totally a gift to have somebody like that in your life. So it's funny you say that um, because yesterday I made three videos to three close friends and it was I didn't use the word street gang, but it was really just setting the tone for how I want our friendship to, uh, I guess, be moving forward in regards to a lot of the times when I'm with some of my friends, we're just kind of talking up here, but I want to get deep with them and just be a little bit more vulnerable with one another. Uh, and that's just inviting them to be in the street gang, just, I guess, a, a more indirect way. But I love that. Um, one other thing. Yeah, sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, it makes a huge difference when you can yeah. start to articulate, but I think probably any relationship, but especially those that you're, you're closer with, I've seen it transform businesses in a matter of weeks. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned the, the get a tattoo part and uh, I've known about it, but it, it, I, it just, it's so, also so funny uh, because I got a tattoo of my company name probably like two years before I actually launched it. That's the coolest thing, by the way. I know <laughs> I've said that before, but just so everybody listening to this knows, I think that's awesome. And my wife was so mad at me. She was like, yeah. what the fuck did you do? Dude, what, did you tell her you were getting it before you? No, no, You just no, came no. home with a new <laughs> tattoo. Yeah, so we were, 
Yeah, we went to a wedding and then she had to go to a rehearsal. Uh, and I, I got dropped off in downtown. So I was just wandering around and I found the only tattoo shop. I stumbled upon it. I didn't know it was the only tattoo shop, but something just called me in to just go in there and just do it. And I, my, my thought was, you know what, if, if I, I, I've had this idea for this company since senior year of college, so this was like four years after college and I hadn't taken action on it, but I knew that I wanted to do it. So I was like, you know what? I'm just going to put this on my body because the day, like, let's say I have kids. If my kid asked me, dad, what's that on your arm? And I'm just like, oh, it's a project that I never did anything with. I'm going to feel like a fucking dipshit. And I yeah. literally just made that like my core tattoo that was going to push me to do it one way or another. And then 2020 happened and uh, best part of my career. And then all of a sudden everything's gone. But I yeah. saw it as a blossoming opportunity to take action on the thing I tattooed on myself. Do you think you would have done it without the tattoo? I don't know. I mean, the initial thought whenever the COVID stuff happened was, okay, let's uh, find the next company to join. But because I had the tattoo and also my wife was definitely like, okay, this is your opportunity to move forward. So that's similar to how your mom and your sister were the ones that allowed you to step into that. Yeah. My wife hasn't started businesses before, but she knew she's like, I believe in you. And then knowing I had the tattoo as well was, I guess the permission I fucking needed <laughs> to once and for all do it. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you, I, I think in a very real way, it actually simplifies life. Life is crazy complex. Right? Just just to do this podcast, we've got satellites, we've got in internet, right? Billions of dollars in infrastructure and hundreds of thousands of people just to make this happen. Like it's a complex world out there. And when we live in the world of I I should, I could, I might, or I can't, it makes it more complex because now you've got fifty billion options called backup plans, risk mitigation, uh, contingency planning. And don't, don't get me wrong, those things are important in certain cases. Yeah. But at the same time, if we're always living a contingency plan, we're never moving forward because we're always reverting back to the things that we know, the things that are safe, the things that will kind of keep us protected, at least have kept us protected. When we commit, we're moving forward. Yeah, It might not be exactly what you want, but it's something that you've got to address going forward. Like you said, you have kids someday in the future. You've got to tell them about that tattoo, whether you did it or not. <laughs> yeah. Right. And it, and it simplifies how we look at things. Yeah. It's not constraining. I think it's massively liberating because now you know where you're going. Yeah. hundred percent. And you were, you, you mentioned how, as you were studying, to come up with these systems, uh, you were seeing that even ancient history and then early uh, colony history, people still use those same systems. And what you were just talking about r- reminded me of uh, on Napoleon Hill's Think and Grow Rich. The, there's one story that stuck with me, and it's the story about burning your boats. So they, yeah. they sail over, they burn the boats. And they're completely against odds that they're with the other army, but because they had no way of retreating, they won. 
And I think that's super important in regards to, you know, you have that contingency, you have that like plan B. Sometimes you just have to go all in. Well, I, I think that's where the um, human potential actually has a chance to flourish. You know, most of the people that I talk to, they're like, well, I'm, I'm not living my potential or this business has so much potential than we're um, realizing right now. And in every one of those cases, I agree. But what's missing is getting that tattoo, really committing above and beyond the things that you already know how to do, because that starts to unlock the creativity, the ingenuity, the determination yeah. to figure it out. You know, if you're always living in the world of, well, why can't I hit my performance target? Or I wish we could have hit that deadline. Or I, I hope we can start this company one day. Well, how long have you been telling yourself that? Yeah. You know, if you look at the real change makers from history, right? The Martin Luther Kings of the world or the Elon Musk's or even the Mother Teresa's, they do something that only 1% of the population is... Uh, doing, which is they step into an arena, they step into life, and they're not dealing with the wishes and the hopes and the wants and the shoulds and the coulds and the can'ts. They've got the courage, the bravery. I, I think these days, even the heroicism, I'd say, to confront the unknown future, confront the unknown of tomorrow, and utter this incredibly simple but profound phrase, which is, I will. I will do something no matter what. And when you do that, you commit in a way that, like I was saying earlier, unlocks your human potential. Yeah. And that's where that potential lives. You want to live your potential? Start saying, I will more. So it's changing the I want just and changing it to I will. And that changes, I guess, something up here that allows you to believe you can do it. Exactly. Well, the more you do it, you might start in small ways. Like if you're um, thinking about being an entrepreneur, I don't know if I would start saying, I will make a million dollars tomorrow, no matter what. Yeah. Right. You start in small ways. You say, well, I will file my LLC license tomorrow, no matter what. I will make 15 cold calls today, no matter what. I you know, will realize a new client in the next 30 days, no matter what. And then as you start to cultivate that belief in yourself by fulfilling on those things, by doing what it takes to have those results, well, then you can start to declare larger and larger and larger things. Yeah. And you built the capacity, you built the belief in yourself. So you've touched on some of the, the systems within no matter what, you, you touch on hunt discomfort, get a tattoo, building your street gang. And yeah. you, you have two more. One is flip it. The other one's surrender. So for flip it, right. would them burning their boats and turning that weakness of, you know, we don't have enough men against this giant army. Is that flipping it to make that weakness, perceived weakness into a strength to actually win? It could be. Um, it's coming up with ways to use your perceived limits or problems or obstacles as the very door to a breakthrough. Okay. Now, you know, when you start declaring big visions, 
you know, when you start really going after this stuff, you're going to run into problems. <laughs> if you don't, you're a miracle worker and I want to know you, you know? Yeah. Um, problems are inevitable. But just because they occur as problems doesn't mean they have to stop us. That's actually, it should be a flag that's saying, hey, right here, this is the breakthrough that you're looking for. It has something to do with this problem you think you have. Now, I'll give you a great example. Uh, have you ever heard of the UK rap artist, Zuby? Yes, you. Ah, yeah, phenomenal guy. He's a friend of mine. I interviewed him on uh, my YouTube channel a little while ago. And he, he's super smart. He's super out there. And he relies on social media for a big part of his business, right? As I think most artists do these days. About, I think it must be nine months ago now, he tried to log into his Twitter account and he gets this uh, flag that says, uh, your account's been suspended and all quarter million followers are now gone. Now that's a, that's a problem. Yeah. Right. Like, can you imagine the anxiety and the discomfort in that moment? If you're like, Hey, your entire customer base, you can't talk to anymore. Yeah. It's like an emergency got written all over it. Well, Zuby didn't panic. He, he said, I think he was on a train outside London at the time. And he thinks for a moment, and he goes, okay, how can I flip it? How can I use this problem to my advantage? Now, the traditional approach would be, uh, well, I'm not going to tell anybody I lost my account. I'm just going to try and figure out how to get it back. or I'm going to hide from the embarrassment of it because that's not the best thing to happen to you. Zuby goes entirely the other direction. He writes a song chronicling how Twitter treated him, <laughs> publishes it on YouTube. Thousands of his YouTube fans take to Twitter to support him. And sure enough, Twitter eventually gives him his account back. He, oh, yeah. he violated some, um, some rule that they had, right? He, he thought unfairly. Not only did he get his account back, but he gained tens of thousands of new followers in the process. Right? That thing that looked like a problem, that circumstance that was holding him back and maybe cratering his business turned out to be a massive breakthrough moment for him. Yeah. So that's really what Flip It's about, taking those problems and exposing them because there's strength in every weakness if you take the time to find it. Yeah. And with your story, you know, being in your 20s, doing really well, then losing it, you took that perceived, not perceived weakness, but you took the experience you had and turned and flipped your situation to become a speaker for that, for that event. And you just took that knowledge. So I guess for people, what's a, what's a tangible way for someone to say, okay, um, this is the problem I'm having. And how can I flip that to overcome that? And the, the, through your system, if someone goes through it, you explain yeah. that just, just a, a snippet. How could someone turn a problem and flip it? Um, well, well you, you're right. First, first you got to articulate the problem. And then the second step, we're looking at four steps. Articulate the problems, number one. Number two is articulate why it's a problem. Is it a legal constraint? Is it an ethics violation? Is it a budgetary constraint? And then third, you step back from that and you say, what do I really want to achieve? 
right? Like what's the bigger goal beyond that specific tactical thing that I can no longer do? And that opens up the space to brainstorm the fourth step of how else you can achieve it. And that's where the, that creativity comes in to figure out how to do things in different ways, because it's, it's where all breakthroughs lie. I, I think my speaking's, a, you're right, another great example, right? I talk about some of my hardest, most embarrassing times, and it's become a core part of my business. It's taking a problem, an obstacle that I had, and using it to create growth. Which is that makes sense? Yeah, and that's huge too, because a lot of times, you know, people are very private in their lives and they don't want to talk about their failures. So that's important that you're, you're shedding light on that. And it, it becomes part of your brand, your no matter what brand too. Totally. Well, and as you're pointing out there, discomfort plays a role through this whole entire process. Yeah. It, it takes hunting discomfort, being comfortable in the uncomfortable to share some of those things, to be vulnerable, to put yourself on the line, um, to ask somebody to be in your street gang, yeah. right? Like that discomfort muscle will come in handy with literally everything. So when does surrendering come into it that way, which is the last system? Well, that's, that's the component that comes into play when strategy runs out. Okay. Um, motivation fails. Like that overwhelm just becomes too much. You know, I've, I've been there a number of times. I imagine a lot of the people that will listen to this, even yourself, you said, like COVID brought some dark times for us. Yep. And a lot of those things you can't change. Right, you can't wake up one day and have a vaccine for millions of people on uh, April first. You can't necessarily change the um, government regulations that are coming down from it, at least on an overnight basis. Mm -hmm. When we surrender, or said differently, radically accept what currently is, it leaves us free to be able to move forward regardless of the circumstances. I, I grew up in a small town and we had this, this ball wall in the park. You know what a ball wall is? Is that something that is around in the world? Like you kick or throw a ball at a wall and it just bounces. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, it's yeah. like con concrete on the yeah. ground and then basically just a concrete wall and you can bounce a, um, a tennis ball against it or yeah, kick a soccer yeah, yeah, ball. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Yeah. It's where everybody goes to fight after school, I think. At least that was in my school. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, imagine going up to that ball wall pushing against it with all your might and complaining about the view that's what life is like when you're not surrendering when you're not accepting what is when you accept what is it's kind of like saying okay this wall is here i can back away from this wall and all of a sudden you can start to see different ways to go and ways to surrender, I found like I'm, I'm a big meditator, you know, like I meditate twice a day, almost every single day. I do a lot of yoga. I like endurance exercises. I like being outdoors. Uh, I like music. Those are the kinds of things that help you accept things exactly as they are. You, you might keep a journal. You might talk to a loved one. You might write down all the things that you're uh, grateful for. Right? Ways to accept what is, is the final step. And that's probably the most intangible, right? Because it's something that happens inside of us. Yeah. And at the same time, 
it's probably the most critically important. So it sounds like this also loops through then, right? Because if I'm surrendering to something, then that allows me to believe in it, which then allows me to hunt discomfort and go through the cycle. That's right. Yeah. Think of it as like, uh, like you're going up a tornado, like you're growing the size of that circle every time. You're hunting bigger and bigger discomfort. Yeah. You're committing to bigger and bigger things. Your, your street gang is getting stronger and stronger, right? You're, you're going through all these problems. You're accepting the results and you go through that over and over again. And that's what growth looks like. Yeah. Right. If you look at the growth of any company and individual, they're going through those steps in some shape or form. Yeah. Now, when you do it intentionally, when you use this system, all that means is, well, now you can do it and mean it. Yeah. You can move through those spaces much faster, much quicker. And that's why we'll see transformative growth from people in, in a matter of weeks, not months. Hell yeah. Um, we, we see them doing things that are quote unquote physically impossible. I mean, we've got somebody in the no matter what community that joined me. I, I do all these crazy things, right? One of them was setting up a bike ride to go 100 miles. And this guy with a neuromuscular condition, very painful apparently, just to walk and move. He comes up. And he goes, I will finish this race no matter what. It, you notice the language, right? I will finish no matter what. Here's a guy that can, he's limping to get on the bicycle and he finishes that race. By the way, he, he's in remission and he's almost fully recovered, but that's the kind of stuff that's possible. It's the things that other people see for yourselves, or maybe you see for yourselves and you're not quite sure how to do it. When you start stepping into the system, I like to think of it as it's like making the impossible possible. You know, you're not going to sprout wings and fly, but everything short of that. Yeah. <laughs> so I think this is a perfect transition into how someone can actually apply this into their life. Uh, you, disclaimer here, we have, Sterling and I have gotten the opportunity to work together we have. Uh, but, I'm very grateful for that, by the way. <laughs> same here. Uh, and I've, I've gotten to learn a ton of this along the, the journey of building it with you. Um, but how can someone take action? Because something that I, I want to make clear with, with my show is for every guest I bring on, I want to have some type of journey that the listener can go on to achieve whatever their next level of success may be. So uh, can you tell the audience where they can find more, uh, uh, more information about no matter what? Yeah, of, of course. So the best place is probably my website, sterlinghawkins.com, although I'm Sterling Hawkins on just about all the social media, so you can find me anywhere. But when you find your way onto the website, there's a link that says create your no matter what. And, and this is the link I'd encourage people to go to. And on the form that'll pop up, there's a space that literally says, I will, no matter what. And in that blank, you can fill in what your no matter what is. Now, don't overthink this, right? Like, don't stress yourself out about it. Don't spend days and hours thinking about it. I don't care what that no matter what is. It could be, I'm going to get coffee tomorrow with my friend, no matter what. It could be, I'm going to call my mom today, no matter what. Could be, I'm going to start my business in the next six months, no matter what, or I'm going to have 10 new clients, no matter what. 
no matter what it is, drop it in that box. And what you'll get in follow-up from me are emails supporting you to go through these five steps every day thereafter. So I'm not leaving you high and dry. And like I said, however small, however large it is, it's a matter of practice. And as you get more practice going through these steps, you'll get more and more results. So as I can support anybody, feel free to reach out otherwise as well. And I, just, I, I, I do want to mention that I will include a link in the description. So just click the link in the description and you'll be able even to go easier. straight to that page. Um, but I do also want to say that ever since meeting you and, and, and immersing myself in, in your systems, uh, particularly the one around hunting discomfort, I've in the nine months, 10 months, whatever the, the period of time has been, I've seen transformational growth through not only within myself, but also for my business. Um, so it really does work, but you do have to follow through with it. Uh, it works if you work it. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I appreciate that. I mean, yeah. like I said, I, I can't say enough great things about you. It's an honor to be on your podcast and appreciate all that you're up to. Yeah, no, and right back at you. So one last thing, uh, yeah. what is a final piece of advice, anything that you could say to, to that 26-year-old Sterling or someone else that's on the other end that is at that low point? Um, look for ways to build your courage. And the, the best way and the easiest way is start saying, I will. Uh, I will speak at a Toastmasters group. I will get out of bed before 10 a.m. today, right? Whatever it is, once you start making those statements and following up on them, not that you'll be successful every time, but that's what's going to build the belief in yourself. And I, man, I wish somebody told me this when I was like 15, 16 years old, I'd live a totally different life. But at the same time, you know, thankfully I've found it now. Yeah. So that, that's what I'd say. All right. Well, Sterling, thank you so much for being on the show. And I really hope to see some of you listeners going through the challenge and, and putting in your no matter what and really following through with it because you have the ability to impact so many people. You just have to believe in yourself. And my guests have the ability to help you get there. So Sterling, thank you. Manuel, thank you. All right. Well, there you have it, guys. We just wrapped up an episode with Sterling Hawkins, someone that's had a huge impact on my life. And I hope that this episode gave you some insight and also provides you with a clear roadmap. All you got to do is click that link in the description and go take that challenge and jump into what your no matter what is, what your goal is, and start taking action on you. Because like I say, all the fucking time, the world deserves to see who you are. You deserve to share your story with the world and to make your impact. And the no matter what system is something that can truly, truly allow you to make that a reality. It's doing it for me. It's allowed me to grow my business exponentially from the moment I started. It's allowed me to get out of my own way. It's allowed me to really embrace who I am. And I believe that if you're in your head at all and you take this challenge, I promise you, all you got to do is take some action on it and it'll change your mindset and it'll help you achieve your dreams no matter what. Thanks for tuning in, guys, and I'll see you on the next one. Peace.